0: I'm going to speak on a subject this morning that is a segue but somewhat uh, in the book of James. Um, Brian Vandermark uh, kind of spurred on this this message. Um, I don't know how long it's going to go. Uh, I can tell you that it's it's it is a little bit of a controversial topic. Um, it's controversial because it's a sensitive topic. Uh, the Bible speaks a lot of it and I think it uh, in our uh, especially Mesa County right now, what we're what we're seeing and what we're dealing with as a as a community um, uh, is it's it's grown substantially over the last several years. I've talked to uh, Matt Cook, who's a police officer here uh, in Grand Junction. In fact, he sent me a message yesterday and said, he was looking forward to the message because I'm going to be talking about the poor and the homeless today." And I asked, you know, Matt, some questions about what. His thoughts were about what was happening and he had his uh, being in the, uh, the industry he's got his thoughts on the poor and the homeless and what, what the police department is dealing with and so um, I was really looking forward to speaking on this because I've thought about this a lot over the last 20 years of my, my walk um, I've read the scriptures there's over 140 scriptures to talk about the poor and, um, and I, I've read those scriptures I've studied them Um, And I've always thought it was a fairly simple uh, subject to understand Um, some of the questions or some of the statements that would come to my brain when I would talk, think about the homeless or think about the poor would be uh, that, you know, God will help those who help themselves, which is not in the Bible. But that's that's uh, something that's often often said when it comes in relation to the poor, that God will help those who help themselves or um, my thoughts sometimes were oftentimes homelessness um, is a result of poor choices in someone's life. Um, and I'm speaking, I, I got to understand, there may be some rabbit trails that go on on this because I'm, I'm somewhat passionate about my belief on it. Um, and I feel like I'm pretty biblically astute when it comes to the subject. But when I'm talking about the homeless or I'm talking about the poor... You know, our picture that you see is America. Okay, I want you to understand that. Like what you see on a day-to-day basis as you're driving down Ute or Pitkin or Grand Avenue or if you're in Denver going down Colfax, you're you're seeing America, okay? That we're a very tiny spot on the globe. So I want you to think about that while we're going through this today. Another thought is that drugs and alcohol oftentimes play a major role in that lifestyle. And then uh, oftentimes I hear this, that most homeless are lazy and would rather lay in the park all day than go and get a job. Now, if you haven't had those thoughts or you say you haven't had those thoughts, I might challenge you a little bit on it. I think a majority of us would probably have had those thoughts when it came to homelessness or the poor, especially in America. So as I begin to think about this and put some real deep contemplation as I'm driving or just sitting there staring up the ceiling, some other thoughts came into my head. Like, what if these people uh, that are homeless or that are poor don't know how to help themselves? What if, what if they're just ignorant? They're lacking the knowledge on the ability to help themselves. What if someone was raised by an abusive father or an abusive mother, and that's just the cards they were dealt? I mean, we, we adopted a little girl. Um, who uh, is a porter now, and her biological mother and father, um, I would venture to say, has a much higher probability of becoming homeless than, say, one of my children, based on their uh, situation from the time that they were brought up in the foster care system. Those are real issues that I think we need to think about and talk about as we talk about this subject. Um, A question, what if the what if the person on the streets never took drugs? What if they never drank alcohol? What if they weren't addicted to either one of those? And what if they were just a childhood victim of fetal alcohol syndrome or drug addiction when they came out of the womb? And that's just – again, those are the cards they were dealt. Uh, what if they wanted to work but no one ever taught them how to prepare for an interview? What if they were just completely ignorant of the way to how – to, how to conduct themselves and uh, to being hired, uh, uh, being <laughs> – Oh, in a way that's conducive to getting a job. Those are questions that I just, that, that come to me when I think about the homeless or the poor as I drive down Pitkin or I drive down Ute or I go over the bridge to my office over the Colorado River. And I always look down to my left and I see a small tent city down there. Um, how about this? Uh, who are the poor that Jesus and the Bible talk about? Are the poor, those that live in America, that eat two to three meals a day and have money for um, booze and weed and they're staring at an iPhone? I'm being serious. These are questions that I have. And is, is this the poor? Are these the poor that Jesus is referring to in those passages that are all over the Bible? We would do two sermons worth of says this in Deuteronomy. It says this in Leviticus. Says this in Job. Says this in Proverbs. Says this in Matthew and Mark. We can go through the entire Bible and look at the passages. But those are questions uh, that that uh, I wonder: Is Jesus referring to those in America that have the unlimited food vouchers and the unlimited amount of resources to eat two or three square meals a day? I mean, guys, this is stuff that I think about, and I'm being candid with you. Because I'm not going to be a guy that's just up here telling you one thing and thinking another. I'm going to tell you exactly what I think, and that may get me in trouble, but at least you know what I'm thinking when it comes to this subject. Um, is Jesus telling us to give the able bodied man that is sitting on a street corner holding a sign that says, Why lie? I need a beer. Is Jesus telling us to give our resources? To that man or the sign that says, please help hungry and homeless while sitting next to a half pack smoked of cigarette butts. These are questions that I ask myself when I think of this subject. And I'm not trying to be cold. I'm not trying to be unsympathetic. I'm trying to understand what the word says and whether or not our own guilt of being so wealthy in this country is leading us to believe that anyone is poor that doesn't have a brand new car or anyone who's poor that doesn't live in a 4,000 or a 2,000 or a 1,200 square foot house or anyone who's poor that can't just go to the movies whenever they want. Is that our concept of poor? And I recently, over the last week, have read and watched and looked at some statistics that all kind of seem to you know, honor each other. And it says that 53, roughly 53%, Of the entire world, live on $2 a day. 53% of the entire world lives on $2 a day. Has anyone here seen a starving person in Grand Junction? A, A literal starving person in Grand Junction. Someone that was completely destitute, laying at the park or sitting at the park or holding a sign. A starving person that just, they don't have food. You, you two have, Ridge? And, okay. Okay. I haven't. I haven't. I have been to Tijuana. I have been to an orphanage in Tijuana uh, when I was about eight years old. And I saw what I would consider truly, truly poor, poor children that were um, so grateful for a meal that you could see it in their face. I've been to South uh, South Africa where I truly saw poor people. Whereas I was talking to the gentleman, he says the reason I work is so that I can afford I can afford for my kids um, to go to school and get a higher education, so they don't have to do what I do for a living, uh, which he made a few dollars a day. I've been to South America and I've driven past shanties where. They didn't have iPhones. They were just fishing in the river to have something to eat. I've seen those. I've seen people that I've genuinely felt were, were poor, but I, I, haven't, I haven't seen really genuinely starving people in, in Grand Junction. Now, I'm not making a statement and uh, saying that everybody that we see in Grand Junction doesn't fit in the category. I'm just telling you where my thoughts go, where my heart goes when I start thinking about the poor in Grand Junction or in America. Um, my wife and I just got back from Cozumel for our 20-year uh, wedding anniversary. 20 years she's put up with me. <laughs> they, uh, saint, you know, they say the Christians are saints in the Bible. But to, Paul writes to all the saints who are in Rome. I'm like, I know a saint. It's Brenda putting up with me, and I don't say that to be self-deprecating. I mean, genuinely, what a patient woman. I am my father's son. Um, mom, and my mom is a saint. OK, but we go to Cozumel and we go to this resort like wealthy Americans do. And uh, and by the way, you're all wealthy Americans. If you you're all wealthy Americans um, and everybody in the resort is well kept and they're smiling and they're happy and the beaches are clean and perfect and not a stitch of trash anywhere. But then you get off the beaten path in Cozumel, Mexico, and that's what we like to do when you go on vacation. I don't want to just sit in the resort between the fenced Areas of the beach and the buoys 50 yards out. I don't want to go. I want to rent a scooter and I'm going to drive around and I'm going to turn left where the person I talked to earlier said, Don't go in these certain parts of town. And I'm like, Well, that just told me go to these certain parts of town. So I get on the scooter and I've got this bright pink scooter. Brenda stayed back at that day. I had this bright pink scooter and I think the guy was making fun of me, but I didn't care. It was a scooter and it was fun. So I had my little helmet on and the drive that would blow the thing back, the helmet back. So every road I went down and if it looked a little rougher, that's where I would turn. And I see the, the homes that these people are living in. And these homes are, are lined with the roofs with just scrap metal. Anything they can find to keep water from coming inside. Some of them, I'm sure, are dirt floors. And I had the opportunity to do some fishing down there. And I went with a couple of Mayan a uh, gentleman whose family were actually traced back to some of the Mayans that were there in Chichen Itza as well as Tulum. And I talked to them about how much, um, you know, what's the going rate for some of the day labor in uh, in Cozumel. And the day labor for hard labor, I'm not talking sitting at a desk doing this. I'm talking about guys cutting stone with grinders and dust flying in their face, something that the EPA in America would put a kibosh on like yesterday or 10, 20 years ago. They're doing this and you know what they're making a day? $14 a day, a day, $14 a day. I couldn't get one of these high school kids to pick up a job site for $14 an hour because that's where we are in America. We can ignore it, but it's a fact. If you go to other places, 14 bucks a day, and this is borderline third world, not quite, maybe it is, but these people are getting money off tourists coming off the bus. So there is an economy there in Cosmo that you don't have in South Africa and you don't have in certain parts of South America and you don't have in Asia. So we just see a little glimpse of it. So again, my brain goes to who are the poor that Jesus is referring to in the Bible? Who are the or that God is referring to in the Bible. And these are areas that my mind just can't ignore. Because I want to know. I want to know what has God called us to do as a church so we don't get caught up in this false belief of who it is we're actually supposed to be helping or how we're supposed to help them. So that was a long introduction, but that was my introduction. So I decided to look in the New Testament And see what the overall concept is as it relates to the poor and the brother or sister in need. And I'm hoping that we can look at the scripture and we can take our ideology as it relates to that subject. We can take that ideology and implement that into our lives, implement that into our thoughts, into our heart and how we help people and why we help people and the responsibility of those that we help. That's my goal, Brian. That's what I'm hoping to accomplish by looking at these scriptures. So we're going to start out by looking at 1 John chapter 3. We're going to read three passages here. 1 John chapter 3 16 through 18, this beginning is uh, 11 through you know, 15. It's talking about loving one another and we've passed from death to life because we love the brother and things like that. Whoever does not love abides in death. Whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And then it says, by this we know love. Okay, John's saying, 1 John 3, verse 16, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods, I think he's getting into the physical nature of things. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. If you have the world's goods, if you have things and you see a brother in need and you don't take care of that need, uh, how does God's love abide in you? If, if Bryce needs something, and I have it, and I don't help, how is God's love abiding in my heart? Okay, let's look at another passage, James chapter 2. James chapter 2, we've, we've I think, have we, have we gotten through this? Yeah, we're going to read it again just to really reiterate it. So, James chapter 2, starting in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith, does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body. What good is that? So also so also faith by itself, if it does not have Work is dead. If it doesn't have works, it's dead. If you have a brother or sister in need of food or clothing and you say stay warm and well fed and you have the means, you have the goods to do that, to supply that, and you don't help, what James is saying is your faith is dead. OK, we do not look at this as an option. If somebody in our church body, according to first John and James, is in need of something. You will be filled here, but you have to have the humility and you have to have the relationship to be able to come to somebody and say, I'm struggling. I'm in need. And according to what I've read so far in the scripture, this must be fulfilled by the church. Let's look at Matthew chapter 25. It's one of the most famous passages that's read or that's quoted When we start talking about the poor, we start talking about the homeless and we start talking about those in need. And we're going to start in Matthew 25 in verse 31. Matthew 25, 31 says, when the son of man comes in his glory, this is uh, in reference to the final judgment. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne before him. Will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats and he will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For when I was or fire was hungry, hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him saying. I'm going to switch over to my written notes here. Sorry, because I I have the New American Standard Bible as well in the ESV. And I want to read as it reads to both. Uh, What verse did I just finish off on? Sorry. Sorry. Pardon? 37. 37. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? Verse 40. And the king will answer them. Truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and the new American standard Bible, Steve, yours probably says to the extent that you did it, To one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me naked and you did not clothe me sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will also answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in person and did not minister to you? Did not serve you, then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of the least of these, you did not do it for me, and these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. So Jesus tells this parable if you see these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you have done this deed to Jesus himself. Whatever you did for the least, you did for me. One of the aspects of these three passages that I read in 1 John, James and Matthew. Is the words used. I don't think words in the Bible are put there by accident. I think that God knew what he was saying when he said it. I think God knew when he was speaking to his prophets and speaking to his writers that, that he was very specific on the words used because I believe it is the mind of God. And a couple of the words used in these passages are brother, brothers and sisters, brother, okay? So he's talking about this idea of brothers and brothers and sisters, And so I naturally have to ask the question, who are the brothers and sisters of Jesus? Who are the brothers and sisters that James and John May be referring to. And there's. If you flip back a couple of passages. In Matthew chapter 12. If you think you know where I'm headed. You probably don't. There's more to it. Than just brothers and sisters. But in Matthew chapter 12. Verses 46 through 50. I'm answering the question. Who are the brothers and sisters of Jesus? In Matthew 12. 46 through 50. Uh. Where am I at here? Did I did I get this wrong? No, I'm, I'm there. OK, while he was still speaking to the people, verse 46, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him, speak to Jesus. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who are my brothers and stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers for whoever does the will of of my father in heaven is my mother or is my brother and sister and mother i want to list i want to read that again one more time Jesus said, for whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. In the book of Luke chapter eight, then his mother and brothers came to him, but they could not reach him because of the crowd and was told your mother and your brothers are standing outside desiring to see you. But he answered them, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the words of God and do it. It's similar in Mark chapter three. So there's this concept biblically. When they says, when did we clothe you? When did we feed you? When did we visit you in prison? When did we visit you when you were sick? And he says, whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. If your brother is sick, you visited him. If he is uh, in need of clothing, you clothed him. If he is hungry, you fed him. Well, who is my brother? Who is my sister? And according to Jesus in several passages, it is he who does the will of my father who is in heaven. So the question then becomes... Do these passages teach us that we are called to exclusively help only those that belong to the church of God? Does this do these scriptures, does this idea say we are a members only exclusivity club and we're going to get jackets that say members only one day? Is that what is that what the Bible is teaching us? I think it's worth the question. There are some some churches that believe that they will do very little to help outside humanity with philanthropic deeds. But if you are part of their church body, their congregation, you are on a list and you will never be without. As long as you ask, as long as you are part of the worship, as long as you give as you can give. There are churches that believe that, that teach that. So my question is, is that what we should teach and believe? Is that what we should do? Is as long as you are a member of this church body and universal, obviously. We're not just talking about 15, 10, nor 17. But we're talking about as long as you belong to this church body, you'll always be taken care of. Well, I'm going to say no to that. Because in Galatians chapter 6, it says this. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. As we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There is this. There's this differentiation between people that are in the faith and people that are outside of the faith in Galatians. It says, as you have opportunity, as it presents presents itself, do good to everyone, especially to the family of believers. So if you are going to ask me, Nate, if we go to church here, if we're part of the fellowship, am I going to get preferential treatment if I'm in need? You know what my response is going to be? Yes. (laughs) Yes. You're going to get preferential treatment based on my current understanding of what the scripture teaches. But that doesn't mean I'm going to turn my back on anyone Anyone. However, there are some uh, stipulations I want to discuss. We can disagree, we can agree, whatever. But let's just look at and see what the scriptures say. About ten years ago, I was having a conversation with a man uh, about similar subjects. Uh, And we got on to um, qualifications of elders and deacons within the church body. This is what Titus says. This is what Timothy says. And he brought up, as the conversation went on, he brought up this passage in James. Uh, We've looked at this passage already, and I believe it says that religion that and I'm going to there's several different versions, but religion that God sees as pure and faultless is visiting uh, a lot of. People will say taken care of, but it's visiting widows and orphans in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So it says that religion that God sees as pure and faultless is visiting is the original. Uh, I believe is what it says in 127 is to visit orphans and widows in their affliction or in their distress. OK, uh, some have said it's taking care of widows and orphans, and we can look at the word visiting and taking care of, but it's basically looking at widows and orphans and taking care of them or visiting them in their distress and their affliction. And I said, you know what's interesting is that there are, we were talking about qualifications for elders and deacons. You know, there's qualifications for widows? Raise your hand if you knew that. Good. A few. <laughs> A few. The Bible actually gives Timothy in first Timothy chapter five qualifications to be put on the list of widows. Now, before we get too far into this, I want to remind everyone I didn't write any letter in the entire Bible. God did not say. However long ago, Nate, I want you to write a book. I want you to write down what I said Put it in print, distribute it to millions of people. I, I, I've had this not as long as mo- some of you have had this book. This book goes back a long way. The word of God. This is what Paul told Timothy in the first letter that he wrote to him in First Timothy chapter 5, verse 9. He says he's giving instructions about the church. Do not rebuke an older man. Honor the widows. Look at verse three. First Timothy five three says honor widows who are truly widows. Okay, what does that mean? And you go to verse nine. Actually, no. I'm just going to read. I'm going to. We got. We have time. We have time. We have time, Brian. We're good. Okay. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith, the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. The other word used there is infidel. Okay, verse nine, let a widow be enrolled. Let a Widow be put on the list of widows, as some versions will say, let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age. Oh, there's an age limit. And having a uh, having been the husband or the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works, if she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, it goes on and on to give you qualifications to be put on the list of widows. Now, we're not gonna get into the details of what that's saying and what it means and is that's cultural or not, but I find it interesting that it says that religion that God sees as pure and faultless is taking care of widows and orphans in their distress or visiting widows and orphans in their distress and then gives a qualification of a widow. Something to think about. I look at the early church in Acts. No one had need. If you look at Acts 242, it says that they met together, they had everything in common. They sold uh, whatever they needed to sell so that nobody was in need, the early church. They took care of each other. There was a, there was a family feeling when it came to the church. For sake of time, I'm going to look at the fact that we are a universal church, one that is uh, worldwide and not just community-wide. Um, Paul, is in Second Corinthians chapter 9, is talking about, hey, when I come to you, uh, you guys have saved up money so that you can give to those in other churches and other areas that may be under persecution and that may be in need of food, may be in need of clothing, may be in need of money. I've, I've saved up money. We're gonna, you've saved that money. We're going to take it and we're going to give the gift. So I see in scripture that we have a very clear directive from the word of God to take care of our brothers and sisters in Christ. In fact, I would make a strong statement that says if there is a brother or sister in need and we know about it and we say we're not going to take care of it, I would say your faith is useless. I would say your faith is useless according to what I see in the scriptures. I'm open to an argument on that, but I cannot read it another way because James makes it very clear. If you stay, stay warm and well fed and do nothing, your faith is useless. It's futile. But what about the homeless locally, the poor locally? Are we called as Christians to focus our resources and our energy toward them? Are we called by God to give money and food to them? And here's my take. When you give your money to someone. You're actually giving a resource that God has given you to manage. This is my understanding. The the money I have in my pocket doesn't belong to me. It belongs to God and I am a steward of that. And so we can look at the hundreds of verses relating to the poor and we're called by God's gift relief no matter what. But here's where I struggle with that just genuine understanding that if anybody asks you for something... Outside, just anybody you don't know, and they says, hey, can I have 20 bucks? And you're like, here you go. I've read people that have done, about people that have done that. I admire that level of faith. But here's where I struggle with that. And again, you're gonna see my heart. You're gonna hear my thoughts out loud here. This is where I struggle with that. In 2 Thessalonians chapter three. Okay, again, I didn't write this passage. I'm just gonna read it. 2 Thessalonians chapter three. Paul is writing to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. To the church, this is the second letter he wrote to the church in Thessalonica. 2 Thessalonians chapter three, starting in verse six. He says this, now we command you brothers. This is a command from Paul to the church, okay? Some people in this world may not like to hear this, but this is a letter from Paul To the church as he was led by the Holy Spirit. We command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness. That word idleness means disorderly in the Greek. And that word disorderly in the early church refers to people who refuse to obey the civil laws. And thus in the church, disorderly means It points to members in the early church who, by their lives, became a reproach to the gospel of Christ. And you're going to find out how they became a reproach to the gospel of Christ. This is how people made the gospel of Christ less powerful. This is how people in the early church made the gospel of Jesus less powerful. And this is why Paul told the early church to avoid Those who were idle and not walking in accord with the tradition that you received from us. Verse seven, for you yourselves know how you ought to imitate us, because we were not idle when we were with you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with toil and labor, we worked night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. It was not because we did not have the right but to give you in ourselves an example to imitate, for even when we were with you, we would give you this command. Listen to this command that Paul gave to the church in Thessalonica. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. I know that's a tough teaching, but this is as clear as it can be. If anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. For we, were, we hear that some among you walk in idleness disorderly, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. It, it reiterates that prior in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 about, about working quietly with your own hands, earning your own living. Um, I'm reminded when I read this of a passage in Proverbs, and we hear this passage in Proverbs, a lot of us have heard the saying, um, that idle hands are the work of the devil. Have you heard this? Idle hands are the work of the devil. In Proverbs 16, 25 through 27, there is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end, it leads to death. A worker's appetite works for him. His mouth urges, his, urges him on. If I'm hungry and I'm capable, I'm going to work so I can feed myself and not be a burden on people. Now, I know this is not politically correct. I know that we have city council votes going on right now, which I talked to Officer Cook about. We have city council votes going on right now about the 10 cities in Grand Junction. And this is not political. This is a biblical message about what does the Bible say about taking care of people? And as I look at Scripture, the bottom line is my point of understanding is that Christians are called to be an example to the world, okay? We are called to be a light. We are called to be salt. And that light and that salt is taking care of our church body. And that salt and that light is taking care of people that need help. That list of people that What if they don't know how to help themselves? What if they were raised by an abusive father or mother? What if that person on the streets never took drugs, but they just were a victim of of childhood abuse or childhood alcohol or fetal alcohol syndrome or drugs? What if that person never was taught how to interview for a job? We are called to also be a light to those people. But there's a passage that talks about dusting your feet if you present the gospel. I struggle with ministries internally, that say, hey, we're going to give you and give you and give you and not teach you in return about the gospel of Jesus. Because that person that's fed and that person that's warm. And they don't know about Jesus. They're still going to be on the wrong side of judgment, but they're going to be warm and well fed. So you can have food and clothing in the one hand and you can have spiritual food and clothing in the other hand. Is that fair? Or should we just say, ah, we're just going to give and give and not care about their eternal soul? To me, food and clothing is the conduit to which we teach people about Jesus. And when someone says, I don't want that, I just want a free handout. Well, let's move on to the people that want Jesus, that want to hear Jesus, because this is a temporary fix we're giving them. And we want to present to them permanent fixes. So I went over, uh, no, I'm only at 40 minutes. I figure I have two, three minutes left so I can pontificate. Um, No, I think I said what I wanted to say. Does that sound cold? Some of you are not shaking your head. So you're thinking this. What What I would challenge, what I would challenge We are always going to have the poor among us. But what I would challenge, do we we really know what poor is? I, I, I would be willing to bet we could go to any person living on the street in Grand Junction and ask them to show us how much cash they have in their pocket. And it will be more than $2. I'd be willing to bet that. I don't think we really know what poor is here. I think we have our own concept of poor because we are such an extremely wealthy country. But $2 a day, according to things I've read in the last couple of weeks, $2 a day is 53% of the world's income. $2 a day. If I threw a couple bucks out, the kids wouldn't even die for it. Some of them go like, (laughs) they go like this. Because it's nothing. We rent a Prime Video movie for four bucks and don't think twice about it. That's two days wages for someone that we just rented a movie. One thing I can prove without a shadow of a doubt is that this money that's in my bank account, my wife and I's bank account, that's in your bank account, that's in your pocket right now, it's God's. He's just letting you use it. And how are you going to use it? If you want to go down to the corner of uh, 9th and you, and you want to bring a bunch of breakfast wraps or breakfast burritos or sandwiches and hand them out and talk Jesus, I think you're doing the Lord's work. But if someone says to you, I have no use for your Jesus. He's done nothing but blah, blah, blah. Move on to the next group of people and say, hey, I've got some food. You guys want to hear about Jesus? Use that as an opportunity. That's my understanding of helping the poor. I hope that answers your question, Brian. I couldn't get to the 143, all of them, because there's, <laughs> there's a lot of passages in there about it. But I am open to discussion about what we think as a church body we need to do. One thing that I will stand on uh, as long as I get the opportunity to preach here is that if there is anyone in need in this church body, um, I believe that it's... Important for us to make sure that you're part of God's kingdom and you're part of serving the church. And that capacity may be cleaning the windowsills, it may be washing the bathroom floors, it may be vacuuming, it may be serving in worship. I'm going to share a quick story and then I'm going to go. A um, young man recently came to me and he's homeless. This is a true story. I'm not making it up for you know, effect. There's a young man that came to me recently, he's homeless. And he was in tears and he said, I need a place to live and I need, uh, I need some money for food and things like that. And I said, well, I, I, I would like to help you, but I am not much for giving a hand out. I will, but I will always give a hand up. You looked very able-bodied to me. I've seen you come to and fro and you were, you were able-bodied. So, but here's what I'll do. I'll put my neck out for you and I will make some calls to people that I think are looking for laborers if you're looking to um, make some money. And so I called a couple of people I know within Mason County and I said, hey, I'd like to have you interview this young man. Um, he's needing a job. Would you be, I said, I can't vouch for his work ethic. I can't vouch for his honesty. I can just tell you I've known him for a little while now. He hasn't given me any reason to not trust him, but I don't know him well enough to say, I'm gonna give my one or two vouchers that I have for a human being on this person, but I do think he's worthy of an opportunity. And so, got him an interview. He had an interview three days later. I called the place where he got interviewed, and I said, hey, did somebody come in today? Yeah, they actually, I think the guy starts on Thursday. I was ecstatic that a young man who was showing some initiative to become part of a bigger group of positive people wasn't just looking for a handout, he was looking for an opportunity And so we gave him an opportunity. He says, yeah, here's a job interview. Go work. Go get some self-pride. Go say, I can do this through God who strengthens me to go make money so that I can help and serve other people who may not be able to walk to work. Or who may not be able to think positively. Who may not know how to shower and stay clean to go to a job interview. Go become that person so you can help someone else and serve. Because that's why we are put here on this planet. Is to serve other people, not to be served. If that means giving somebody a ride, you give them a ride. That's serving the church. That's serving the body of Christ. If it means cleaning the dishes after potluck. If it means inviting someone that's saying, hey, I really need a handout. Hey, how about a hand up? I can help you do that. We're looking for some labor. We need someone to pull some weeds if you're willing to work. No, I just want money. Eh, You're barking up the wrong tree. That's my take. That's my take. Okay. And that's in America. Guys, I, I recommend you start looking into if you're really interested about the poor. There's a lot of poor out there. We have no clue how poor. We don't know what poor really is. So anyway, I'll stop uh, pontificating on this subject. Who has <coughs> communion this this morning? Jared. All right. You know, let's say a quick prayer uh, for our community, uh, what we're, we're seeing an influx right now of a lot of people. And my wife made a good point. She was maybe we have an opportunity to reach people that don't have uh, a home and they don't have Jesus. Maybe there is an opportunity for that, that we need to start looking into as a church body. Um, so let's pray and see what God leads us to as a church body to introduce people to Christ. So. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the truths that we see that are written on the pages for us to read, to understand, to learn, and to apply to our lives. Father, I come before you, although I speak quickly, I I come before you in complete humility to say, help us understand our role as a body, our role as individuals to spreading your gospel. And if that Spreading of the gospel is through the means of food and clothing and shelter. Father, give us that spirit of uh, courage, the spirit of um, fearlessness that will do that. Father, give us the spirit of discernment as well to know that when there are people out there that are sent by the adversary to take up our time, to take up our resources, who have no desire or intention to serve you ultimately and to be part of your kingdom. So, Father, give us that discernment as well. Father, we pray again to watch over Marsha as she travels and heads to Kansas City. Let her be a light there. She's been a light here for us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.